Welcome to Chaplain Stories, sacred stories from the front lines of ministry. My name is Chaplain Caleb McCary, and we are going to be talking to chaplains about their stories, living out their calling and ministering to military personnel. I'm so glad to have you joining us as we talk about faith, life, and ministry with our guests. Welcome to Chaplain Stories. I am Chaplain Caleb McCary, and you are in for a treat today. Uh, about two months ago, my family and I attended the Chaplain Corps anniversary celebration at Arlington National Cemetery in Fort Myer. Uh, there were a bunch of chaplains there from across the Washington, D.C. area, including the current chief of chaplains, uh, as well as a special guest speaker uh, who brought a message devotion uh, after the laying of a wreath at Chaplain's Hill in Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, this chaplain, who I had not, uh, who I had never heard of, who was not on my radar, uh, was Chaplain Matt Zimmerman. Chaplain Matt Zimmerman was a chief of chaplains in the early 90s. Uh, so he was a uh, two-star general, a major general, and was the first African-American chief of chaplains for the United States Army. And as we had finished up in Arlington and we had come back to uh, Fort Myer and we were fellowshipping together, uh, Chaplain Zimmerman was there and he was talking to folks and at first, I was just going to kind of let the opportunity slide by, and my wife, as she often does, you know, kind of gave me a little bit of an elbow, and she said, hey, uh, why don't you go talk to him and see if he would be interested in sitting down to record a Chaplain Stories podcast? So I did, and we exchanged phone numbers, and over the course of the last two months, uh, calling back and forth, we're able to set up a time to sit down and visit. And so uh, I got to spend some time with Chaplain Zimmerman at his home, and uh, we got to talk some about his story, his history in the chaplaincy. And I think you will find it uh, to be an incredible story, very enlightening and very unique in terms of uh, the episodes of this podcast that I've recorded because uh, his time in service goes back to the Vietnam War all the way to the early 90s. So I hope that you enjoy this episode, uh, and as always, as you listen, please remember that the opinions that are expressed in the podcast are those of myself or my guests and are not official positions of the United States Army. I was the chief of chaplains for the United States Army Chaplaincy. So you were chief of chaplains, and uh, in what years did you hold that position? 1990 to 1994. 90 to 94. Mm -hmm. Well, we were just visiting. You um, You have the, the earliest time of anybody I've interviewed uh, for this podcast so far, so I'm really excited to get to hear uh, some earlier years in the chaplaincy than what I've had the opportunity so far. So you retired from the chaplaincy in, uh, in 94, uh, but you didn't stop there. What, what did you do after that? The next four years were spent serving as the Director of Chaplain Services for the Department of Veteran Affairs. 
And uh, and currently, uh, you're pastoring a local congregation. Pastoring a local s- small church out in Warrington, Virginia. Well, very good. Very good. First Baptist Church of Warrington. So when did you come into the chaplaincy? What year was that? In April 1967. So before you were born or maybe before your dad was born, (laughs) you know, not quite. But my dad was a young man. Uh, I shouldn't even say young man, a young boy (laughs) in in 1967. Well, so turning back the clock here a little ways. uh, What were you doing before becoming an army chaplain in 1967? I was serving as the campus chaplain for a small Baptist college in Sumter, South Carolina, by the name of Morris College, Sumter, South Carolina. So is that also where you grew up, was in No, area? I grew up, that's uh, in the, well, middle section, really, of South Carolina. I grew up in what's called the Piedmont section, the northern part of South Carolina, a little town by the name of Union, South Carolina. Uh, near Greenville, Spartanburg, two larger places. And I was born in a little town called Rock Hill, South Carolina, right across the North Carolina border. Okay. There, near Charlotte, North Carolina. So uh, so you're doing some college ministry. Mm-hmm. What starts to happen uh, in your life that calls you into the chaplaincy? I think... Uh, Vietnam had a rather persuasive role in my uh, desire to become part and parcel of the military chaplaincy. Uh, I thought that uh, there would be a need for chaplains, uh, and especially minority-type chaplains, and I thought I'd just give it uh, a go for three or four years enough time to get to Vietnam and back, but would uh, serve in that capacity and uh, thought it would be a, be a good thing for me and, again, hopefully for the soldiers who were part of my unit. So what was that like, that uh, transition? Because um, that's a pretty dramatic transition, especially during a time of war, to go from... Uh, from a, a civilian ministry type environment to uh, to preparing for the chaplaincy. Well, I think the uh, obviously the venue, the location, a college, uh, was quite different from a military setting. But in terms of the the people, the persons that I would be serving, they were young. They, for the most part, they would be young folk, mm-hmm. and of course, I was in a college with young people. So from that standpoint, uh, there was not a big difference. My congregation basically would be a congregation of young folk uh, who had a difference with respect to uh, outlooks on life, uh, obviously gender, but uh, I thought that uh, there wouldn't be, really wouldn't be that big a change in terms of what I was doing and the persons uh, at whom my ministry was directed. 
So as you're starting to consider the chaplaincy, uh, what does your family think about this uh, as you're considering the, the chaplaincy and the military service? They were very supportive. My uh, father was a minister at the time, and as had been my grandfather, his father. And uh, they were, I think, of the mind that a ministry is a ministry. The environment, uh, the location, was really secondary to the fact that you are doing and performing a ministry for God's children. So I basically, and obviously from my wife, uh, basically it was a, I think, a feeling of support from nearly every aspect of my family. So you were serving, uh, started serving in the chaplaincy during the 1960s, mm-hmm. which um, I know for me, from reading history, and you lived it, was a time of great cultural upheaval in our country. So what was that like for you to wear the uniform and to minister to soldiers and their, and their families during those tumultuous years? Uh, I'd really thought, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, I began my ministry in the, in the state of Idaho, working at Idaho State University as a chaplain. And there, while there wasn't a huge diversity with respect to ethnicity, uh, most of my students, um, as a matter of fact, just about all of them were white. But that in itself probably served to help prepare me for what I was to encounter by going into the military. It was not a big difference in terms of, again, the people that I ministered to in the Army. Uh, obviously, there were more, uh, more blacks and Hispanics, but uh, otherwise not a big difference. What was your, uh, your ministry experience like uh, when you served in Vietnam? I was the last chaplain south in Vietnam uh, and uh, thought that was kind of weird, a brand new chaplain. I'd been in the Army about a year when I got to, in fact, I volunteered to go to Vietnam. And uh, when I got there and uh, asked about my assignment, they said, well, you're down the way south. And I said, how far? Well, you're the last chaplain south. And my naivete at the time, I said, oh, they're probably assigning uh, alphabetically. Being a Z, I'm the last chaplain south. They probably <laughs> got a chaplain named Allen up on the DMZ someplace. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but it required, and because it was, a, it was a fourth core tactical zone, advisory really type, uh, with a bunch of special forces teams and troops, uh, I had to travel every day. Uh, to do my ministry by helicopter, plane, jeep. And uh, so it was, uh, it was quite moving, shall we say, mm-hmm. uh, down there. But it was, uh, it was a good experience, I think. So as you continued to, uh, to serve in the Army, um, you saw some pretty major transitions happen. Um, from the, the draft years of the Vietnam War uh, to an all-volunteer force. 
so what was that like for you serving during that transitional period? From the? From the, the draft period of the Vietnam War and then the Army transitions to an all-volunteer force in the, in the 70s. I didn't really feel that that transition was uh, significant enough to cause me to feel that we were really undergoing a big change. Probably, I get, I'm not sure the statistical data probably was a, one of the results of the transition was probably a smaller, less diverse military and army, of course, in particular, because you weren't being drafted and you depended on volunteers. Mm -hmm. But uh, other than that, I really didn't feel that there was a big change in terms of mindsets or the way we did business. So uh, your ministry trip. looked, uh, it, it was pretty much the, the same, taking care of the soldiers yes. and their families, yes. uh, regardless, regardless of, of, of well, the political situation or Regardless of whether or not it was the, the soldiers was they were there as a consequence of a draft or they had volunteered. Uh, it was basically the same dynamics, I thought, with respect to my ministry to mm. them. Uh, and as you continued to serve, uh, you served during some uh, some challenging years uh, through the Cold War as well. Um, was there any impact on your your ministry? Uh, did did the the Cold War shape your ministry in any way as a chaplain? I was thinking about that when I saw the question. Now I can't really put a finger on an impact that stood out. Uh, matter of fact. Uh, the only thing I can think of is during my tour or term as the chief of chaplains, uh, I, along with the chiefs of chaplains from the Air Force and the Navy, uh, went to Russia, to Moscow, and part of the, the major part of the reason we went, we had been invited to come to try to uh, help facilitate the emergence of a chaplaincy in the Russian military. And you know whether one can say that's a matter of uh, Cold War, one way or the other, positive or negative. Mm. <laughs> but that's the only thing I can really think about uh, that uh, one could say Cold War or heating up war, or whatever. But that's interesting because, uh, uh, again, what were the years you were chief? Uh, Ninety to ninety-four. Ninety to ninety-four. Mm -hmm. So, so these were the the years immediately after the the fall of the Soviet Union. Correct. And Correct. And that I'm sure we would not have been invited to Russia to talk about the chaplaincy in the military prior to that time. Yeah. Uh, prior to brother uh, our good president saying tear this wall down type thing, you know. And that the, so, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to transition here uh, just to ask you a few questions, uh, to hear some stories from, from your time of service as a chaplain. Uh, these, these are questions that I ask to every chaplain who I interview, and uh, it's just always interesting to hear uh, the, the different stories that come about from these. Uh, so what was the most physically challenging thing that you experienced as a chaplain? I would have to say some of the Vietnam experiences 
uh, as I said, I had to travel every day, and uh, one experience when, I, yeah, we were traveling by helicopter, I guess, and uh, bullets came flying and uh, into the helicopter, and uh, that caused us to take an unplanned <laughs> landing, to say the least. Uh, and uh, it, I suspect that uh, surviving that and getting out of the, uh, the mess that that turned out to be was probably the most physically challenging uh, time or aspect of my entire career, certainly in Vietnam too. Uh, so that probably would have been it, and I'm not sure that's where you thought. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that um, that's very, uh, very helpful. And uh, I mentioned earlier that a lot of the the folks who listen to this podcast are um, are chaplains currently serving, <laughs> and and I know that uh, chaplains in particular are always curious about uh, looking looking for advice or help. Uh, and so I'm I'm curious for you because uh, you you were traveling a lot um, when during your service in Vietnam and it was a uh, just that alone was physically challenging. What what helped keep you in the fight during those years? Uh, during during the that Vietnam deployment, what what was it that helped you be able to maintain I and to think, keep going? I think that. You know, the chaplaincy, as you're well aware, we have the overall motto uh, to bring God to men and women, men and women to God as our mission, our function. Mm -hmm. But alongside that, I've always thought that ranking right up with that is the fact that we are there to ensure that soldiers know that they are thought of by their commanders in this nation. They are thought of as being more than just trained uniforms, but they are people, they are persons with religious, spiritual needs. And this nation considers them to be persons who do have those needs and we will provide for those needs. So every time thinking of myself as a reminder to soldiers that you are thought of as an individual first, not just as a member of a unit, but as an individual who has needs, uh, spiritual needs certainly, and that this nation feels obligated enough to you to meet those needs by having a chaplain in your unit to try to serve you and meeting those needs. Those, that was the dynamic that really uh, had a major, I think anyway, had a major place and role in my being in Vietnam as well as during peacetime. Mm. And uh, also we did a lot in Vietnam. We provided a lot of assistance to the townspeople in that little town of Bac Lu, South Vietnam, Kamau, Vietnam, 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 Rock Joe, Vietnam. But we got a lot of things sent by folks from the states for the youngers. We really supported an orphanage there in Vietnam. And uh, 
basically they were a Catholic priests who were running the orphanages and that. But uh, we did a lot of that in Vietnam that it's never talked about, well, rarely talked about. But uh, that was quite a satisfying thing, too. Did, uh, did some humanitarian work then? The humanitarian work, right. I, I think that, uh, that what you said there was really interesting. Um, you know, I, I think that war uh, a lot of times is very dehumanizing um, and and one of the things that chaplains help do is is help soldiers uh, maintain touch with their humanity absolutely absolutely well what was the most spiritually challenging thing that you experienced as a chaplain that's a that's a good question because that's probably connect that question to one of, uh, well, I remember a potential suicide person where I had quite a few, but this one was particularly, well, a lad had come into the office and he finally decided to tell me that he had plan to uh, to really do some terrible things to members of his family as well as to himself and attempting to dissuade him of that particular notion was uh, as I recall it a very traumatic time for me thinking that if I fail some terrible things could happen and uh, that's one of the things that stand out uh, in my mind and memory with respect to any traumas that took place having to do with suicide. Uh, maybe something else will come to mind, but that's right now. Is yeah, I think, and you know, those those are the sorts of things, chaplains. You never know what a soldier's going to walk into your office with, or you, you walk out in the motor pool, and you never know what you're going to this, encounter when you walk This soldier up to came to me later and gave me, I can't remember if it was a 45, but gave me a pistol that he had planned to use. And he said, you take this for safekeeping. And... Uh, I do remember that because <laughs> chaplains obviously are non-combatants. Right, right. <laughs> and we're not supposed to have those kinds of weapons, but uh, I do remember that. Wow. Yeah. Well, as you think back over over your time in the army and a chaplain, what was your toughest day or your toughest event that you faced? Probably was going down in that helicopter after having been, and of course we used to come under mortifier and my location, but probably has to do with Vietnam and war in general mm -hmm. and some of the bad negative things that happened there. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was your most rewarding day or event in the chaplaincy? Can we get back to that? Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That one, I, I'm not That's sure. Because uh, it... Uh, it wouldn't have any that answer that I would have. It wouldn't have anything to do with any personal achievements. But uh, 
Let me think on that. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, I know um, you have you retired from the chaplaincy in 1994. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've kind of stayed connected to some extent because of how we ran into each other, uh, getting in, invited back in for, for speaking engagements and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so it, it now kind of looking at the chaplaincy uh, from the outside, what do you see are the biggest challenges uh, that face the chaplain corps in the future? I think that uh, kind of retrospectively, I look back and think about what I felt and feel to be the very important needs of the chaplaincy. I think that uh, today it's very important for the chaplaincy to try to maintain good diversity with respect to its its members, chaplains, uh, both, in, or not just both, but in terms of major faith groups, in terms of ethnic composition, and gender. I think that I would, oh, okay, in terms of a good thing happening when we accessioned the first female chaplain in the army, and I happened to be there to, chief or deputy, whatever, and also when we accessioned out of the other services, we accessioned the first Islamic Muslim chaplain to serve on active duty in any of the services. Those were two of the proudest, biggest moments. So for you, as uh, as uh, were you the chief at that time, or were it just I, a I'm senior? I'm sure I was the chief when the first Muslim uh, Islamic chaplain came, but I can't really remember if I was the chief or deputy or working in the chief's office when we got our first female chaplain. And I don't want to say I was there and take all the credit for that, but those were proud moments for me uh, as part of the chaplaincy when those two things happened. So uh, for some in our audience, we have, uh, we have folks who listen who uh, are family members or friends who might not necessarily be in the, the military or the chaplaincy themselves. Um, for our soldiers, what is the, the benefit for, for us to have a diverse chaplain corps? Uh, how does that benefit our soldiers? Uh, as I said earlier, with respect to uh, what I feel to be the most important one of the more important aspects of our ministry, the fact that chaplains are reminders to soldiers that their nation, their commanders, think of them as individuals, as persons who have specific needs, spiritual and otherwise. But in meeting those needs and as chaplains, reminding them that your country and your commanders really feel that that's a responsibility that they have. But when we have females and members of different faith groups serving as chaplains, I think we become reminders to the maximum of the fact that this nation feels that way, that we know you are people, individuals with needs, and we are trying to fulfill those needs. And a chaplain is a reminder of that fact. And it's... It is a, a very special thing for 
for soldiers of, of different faith groups to be able to have a chaplain from their specific, from their faith, specific group faith group who can come in and uh, speak the language immediately without having to be taught. Right, right. Well, one of the, the things that uh, continues to be uh, a challenge in our culture, uh, and, and you lived through some of the some tumultuous times uh, regarding this issue, are uh, racial issues. And how can chaplains or, or clergy in general, as, as you've experienced as a pastor in the civilian world, provide a prophetic voice uh, on helping with these racial issues that continue to come up in our culture? I think that chaplains can best address uh, the issues emanating from racial kinds of uh, situations or problems by trying their best to stay true to their faith staying in prayer and by being themselves an example of just how beneficial a person of faith can be for any ethnic group that's there. I think, again, staying really true to one's faith beliefs and to, again, an understanding that we're here for all of God's children. Uh, I don't think that requires a whole lot of special schooling to do. So the, to say, as, as Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Amen. To, Amen. To model that. That's in true. Our community. That's what we as chaplains ought to be thinking about modeling the words, those words, as well as the words of the sacred text of other faith groups that have, uh, would pretty much have that same feeling written throughout. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you think back over your time as a chaplain, what did you, what did you love about doing that? I think one of the the real positive and attractive features is that you get to to interact with and to minister to so many folks of such different backgrounds. Uh, you never get into a rut as a chaplain because there's going to be somebody show up tomorrow that you you say, whoa, <laughs> where, did, where did this person come with such different ideas, feelings, outlooks on life? I think, again, the diversity is very important. You don't get ever find, you, I don't think so anyway, I don't think you ever find yourself in a rut, ministerially speaking, as a chaplain. It's, it's, it's different. It, it's one of the things that, that I've loved about uh, serving in a, in a chapel community is uh, just the diversity of the, the chapel community as well. It, it just it brought great joy to my heart to be standing in the back of the chapel on a Sunday morning and look out and see all different colors of people, everybody just there worshiping the Lord and together. speaking as a, as a Christian only, uh, but, you know, it seems to me that Christ 
really went out of his way to have a different congregation out there listening to his words. He went all over the place. It wasn't, it was, there was not a coherency with respect to the members of his congregation that came from all over. And uh, I think the military chaplaincy provides that kind of arena for chaplains. Yeah, yeah. Well, you getting, you're getting to talk to a, a fairly junior chaplain today, so when you give, answer this next question, I'd just like to sit back and, uh, and listen to what you have to say. Uh, so what advice would you give to a chaplain who is just starting out in the ministry? Maybe, maybe somebody who, who's brand new, uh, on to active duty. Maybe somebody who's considering uh, the chaplaincy. What advice would you give to them? I think for a young chaplain, I would say your faith and your prayer life are the two most important factors that one should be concerned about in their lives. Because sometimes you can get so involved in the nuts and bolts that you forget that we are very unique people in that we are in the business because we have a particular faith and spiritual life. That's that's yes, we got to be out of seminary, got to be endorsed. But those are our two most qualifying, I think, factors our faith and our spiritual life. So I would tell a young chaplain whatever is coming up on your daily agenda, today or tomorrow, whenever, don't forget you've got to stay faithful to your beliefs. And you've got to stay in the spirit via your prayer life and your own worship life. So I think that's really the most important thing. And to never let the idea, notion of uh, honors or rank or whatever get in the way of that. Uh, Yes, that's what I would say. Was there anything that helped you uh, maintain your spiritual life and your prayer life during your service as a chaplain? I think that seeing some of the soldiers, hearing some of the soldiers talk to me about the impact or effects of a particular sermon or conversation that I had with them and how it changed, caused a change, and that to me did it all. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you've continued on in ministry uh, now for a good while since retiring from the chaplaincy. Um, I, I've talked to a few folks uh, for doing this podcast who either were about to retire or had retired. Uh, what advice would you give to those senior chaplains or, or chaplains who are uh, looking at retirement uh, and life that comes after the military? Never stop. Retiring from the military should be just another step, a plateau in your ministry, but never stop. Uh, I often think about uh, the impact and the reaction of my dad or granddad if I told them I was retiring from the ministry when I retired from the chaplaincy, uh, they would have still been 
hit me upside the head. You don't retire from the ministry in our, in our family of ministers. You continue until you're physically unable to. Uh, I think that those who have been called to minister should know it is a lifetime contract, yeah. period. Well, I've got one more question for you here, Matt. Um, what are one or two books that have been influential or beneficial to you over the years? I saw that and I was trying to, to remember. And uh, the one obvious, well, maybe not obviously, but uh, I'll say it anyway, but the Bible is the book. Uh, that has never failed me. And just last week, believe it or not, and I've, I've read a lot of books that uh, I thought were quite helpful and had a pretty big uh, impact on my psyche and my thoughts. Uh, but last week I was reading, my sister-in-law gave me a book last week. It's a book about young Thurgood Marshall making it's of a Supreme Court justice. And it stops about 1933 before the 1954 Supreme Court decision on the Brown versus Board of Education. But seeing what the, ex the experiences were that he dealt with in the South, in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama uh, during the 20s and 30s time period. And also understanding that my wife's father, who was a lawyer, and I think he was the first black judge around Columbia, South Carolina, but he was instrumental in the 54 Supreme Court decision, Brown versus Board of Education, coming out of South Carolina. But it is uh, the book, and talking about also the, I don't want to use the word the religiosity, but the spiritual aspects of all of those times of trauma in terms of race relations. And I get the feeling that the spiritual aspect of the entire race relation history and scenario is downplayed. But I hate to think what would have happened had that not been there. Had there not been people of real faith and real strong, and I don't want to use just say Christians, but real strong in their faith if they had not been there. Uh, and that is a, it's an affirmation. The fact that uh, my own life and career uh, was in the right path with respect to having that spirituality and one's religious feelings, belief, uh, was of the utmost importance. That adds, I think, confirmation to that fact. So that's been a very, that was, and again, I just read it two weeks ago. That's a very important book, but its timing is probably more than anything else. I can't think of any specific ones in the past. I was trying to, I went downstairs in my library to see if I had some <laughs> old ones that stuck down there. But I probably could come up with some. But right now, just the Bible, then the latest is this one. Well, 
I appreciate that, and I, I, I read a fair bit myself. So if you asked me on any given day, you know, I'd probably have something similar, the the Bible and then some book that yeah, I've read just, pretty yeah, recently. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Uh, so that's where I'm on that. Well, Matthew, I, I sure appreciate you taking the time to visit with me today. Um, I, I, I'm just thrilled that, that we had the opportunity to meet a couple months ago at the Chaplain Corps anniversary and then... Uh, that you were willing to take a little bit of time out of your afternoon to, to visit with me. I'm so. delighted, and I hope it's helpful. Well, thank you for listening to this conversation with Chaplain Matt Zimmerman. It was a real joy to get to sit down with him and, uh, and spend some time with him and record this episode. He just has an amazing story, uh, and to get to learn some of his story and uh, you know, soak in some of that knowledge that he has, not just from his many years as an army chaplain, but also his many years of ministry experience, period. I hope this episode was a blessing to you, and uh, I hope that you will take a few minutes and uh, click share and share it with your friends, share it with your family on social media. Help me continue to get the word out about the amazing work that our chaplains, both retired and current, have done, and are doing. I hope you'll join us again next time as we hear another chaplain story. Thunder and flame, wherever the call.